Blog Talk Radio. Firefly Willows L.I.V.E. presents The Amethyst Oracle, Divination with a Queer Twist, featuring your hosts, Heisey Luckmers and Charlie Harrington. The Amethyst Oracle. Delve into life, death, and everything betwixt between and beyond. Between and beyond. Between and beyond. With a clear twist. The Amethyst Oracle. Divination with a queer twist. And now, here are your hosts, Charlie Harrington and Heisey Wittenberg. Welcome to the show. Thank you for listening. Uh, my name is Hi C. My co-host Charlie will be with us momentarily. You uh, have, if you don't know, you have suddenly fallen into the world of the Amethyst Oracle Divination with a Queer Twist. And we're very excited about this evening's show. We have some very interesting guests lined up. Uh, now, if you had listened last month, you would have also heard us have the opportunity to speak with another very intriguing guest. Uh, that would be one, the devil. And this month, we are going to be having a bit of a conversation with Death herself. So hopefully you will stay tuned for that. We will also be welcoming Yeshe Rabbit, who will be uh, talking to us. She is offering through the end of the year to do readings for people um, for 2015 overall. And she is using a couple of uh, divination tools and techniques that are probably unfamiliar to many people. Uh, Shagai, which is from, hopefully I'm saying that right, which is from uh, Mongolia. It's a form of bone divination. And Mo, which is from Tibet and a form of dice divination. So I think you'll find that also very fascinating um, and hopefully something new that you might be intrigued by and even want to seek out and see what you want to, uh, if you want to give it a try, play with it a little bit. Um, I, the latter part of the show, as we normally do, we offer you the opportunity to receive a reading live on the air during the show. And if you would like to do that, you can get into the queue by Skyping in from the show page, or you can call 646-716-5510. And that will also give you the opportunity to um, get into the, the queue. Uh, all you need to do, I think, is you press 1. Uh, <clears throat> Once you're connected, pardon me. And, of course, we'll also have our Living the Queer Life segment, which uh, gives us a chance to pull a couple of cards and see what they have to say to let us or guide us in living our queerest life possible in the coming month. Queer, of course, just meaning being our true and authentic selves, not letting ourselves think we have to fit into the status quo or conform to what someone else wants, but instead to just be ourselves. So that's what that segment is about uh, as well. And 
we did have some interesting, well, <clears throat> let us just say that there will be some questions. You may just have some curiosities about our interview with death. So I do hope that you will stay tuned for that. Having said that, I don't know if that's a good segue to go right from death to my co-host, Charlie, but I will go ahead and welcome my co-host, Charlie, having just talked about death. Always playing playing second fiddle to death, I tell you. One of these ages. (laughs) Well, as long as that fiddle doesn't start playing fast, because you know what that'll mean. Oh, then, then, well, as long as the fat lady doesn't start singing, right? That's right. (laughs) How are you, Mr. Harrington? Yes, I am Sabu. Uh, I survived another Halloween, despite all the odds, and I am excited about our guest tonight. How are you? I'm doing very well, but I'm very excited to hear about your Halloween adventures. Uh, of course, you know... What you you were down in the land of American Horror Story Coven? <laughs> yes. It's <laughs> all I can think about. I'm like, oh, did he see the house? Did he happen to see any of them walking around? Did he come across any <laughs> battlegrounds where the witches were there any and the zombie attacks? People? <laughs> you know, that's, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, well, I only manifested four of the powers, so I'm not in contention for the supreme this year. But I think other than that. Um, as to locations, uh, the Witch's Ball is held in the same mansion that the sorority party takes place in in the first episode of the show, which is um, that's a dubious <laughs> honor. Since, uh, <laughs> I hope you drove carefully when you left there. Yes, absolutely. Uh, no, we were in trolley. I figured, uh, you know, they won't they won't wreck public transportation. That's right. <laughs> uh, why, why stink the song, correct? But um, no, it was a wonderful time in New Orleans. I was there for the Witch's Ball, which I've been to a lot of events that claim to be a Witch's Ball over the many years. Um, for a long time, I thought the best ones were Oakland in the early 2000s, late 90s, but uh, New Orleans does it best. <laughs> it was cute. People referred to um, us on the West Coast as kind of young in the witchcraft world. <laughs> You know, because oh, we've only been doing it since the uh, the '60s, so and really the '70s. So, so we're we're, we're the we're the twinks of the witchcraft world. Yes, be a twink again. Oh, never be a twink again. <laughs> but it was um it was a wonderful wonderful time. Um, so as a metaphysical traveler, which is I feel like if you're into all of this, as people like to say, you um I feel like travel is a very different experience. You look for different things. Then I don't know, maybe a food enthusiast or something like that, so or a music enthusiast. Um, it was the most magical I've ever been to. Now, sort you know, um, certainly the Bay Area has its little, um, you know, little pockets uh, of people who have you know a magical lifestyle. But um, New Orleans was sort of we were only in the French Quarter, so I cannot. Ex- you know, speak to an authentic experience, but um, we went to like six different esoteric or occult stores <laughs> in uh, in one day at one point. So, uh, and you can get you know voodoo dolls at like uh, like a, at a drugstore. So um, they are much more steeped in um, 
and, and uh, magical uh, tourism. Um, there's everything from like the sort of really refined store, uh, like catering to sort of like maybe like a higher end, like magical goods, like um, Hex or uh, Air Zulis, which is sort of like if you turn a Sephora into a voodoo boutique, you get <laughs> Air Zulis. Like, so very, very kind of posh to Voodoo Authentica, which is, you know, trying to like put, you know, to present. Uh, it's you know sort of all, all voodoo centered wares in a very sort of um, I don't know, I'm trying to see find a word that's not authentic because it's called voodoo authentica, but um, uh, in, 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 in a non hokey context, let's say to like Marie Laveau's house of voodoo and Reverend Zombie's house of voodoo, which are sister stores, which are like absolutely like here's a tour, you know here's a mug that says voodoo unto others before they voodoo unto you and hanging like you know, racks and racks of hanging voodoo dolls. But they have some hardcore real things as well uh, that I had never heard of or seen before that were kind of cool. Um, many, many tarot decks. Every store, every one of these stores has multiple tarot decks, more than I'd ever seen at any store, certainly in the Bay Area. Um, we, we, we have a few that do pretty well for themselves, but lots of tarot. And uh, for a tarot reader, getting to go to Jackson Square Park on a Sunday right in front of, you know, Salome Cathedral. Um, and I had heard about the fortune tellers of Jackson Square, but there was, there are a lot of them. There's a whole line of tables you can go to where people are going to, you know, of course, all of those other stores I mentioned before have readers working at them, but you could go to Jackson Square, and, you know, there's, there's street performers and magicians and dancers and things, and then there's the fortune tellers. That I, you know, of course, as a reader, you have to go by each table and sort of look at what they're doing, and uh, quite a plethora of different things. You have sort of your more like voodoo practitioners uh, using like maybe like New Orleans voodoo tarot or um, the I'm, I'm blanking the Odoo, the uh, the shell divination to the palmist and uh, people reading angel cards and fairy cards and. Um, crystal balls and uh, kind of everything and sort of the reputation for the readers there in Jackson Square I'm not talking about in the stores is that a lot of them are going to be hucksters but that's kind of part of the charm <laughs> I guess I don't know if I make that sound right but um, this you know getting into reading will be interesting from any of them and I think it's kind of a, a trick to find one that's, that's maybe um they have a reputation. I did not get a reading from any of those ones, so I can't speak for that. Um, and as a respect to the whole esoteric nature of New Orleans, I know there's a lot of controversy among different groups that practice various traditional forms of spirituality as to whether or not what you get in the French Quarter in New Orleans is authentic. And most people refer to it as, oh, that's tourist voodoo. And to that, all I can say is I was a tourist, so I was fine with everything I saw. Does that make sense? <laughs> it does. So like, I'm, I, I'm curious if you, if you can give us a few details about the witch's ball itself and what made it so yeah. grand for you. Oh, it was uh, it was glorious. So um, it's so it's an old um, garden district mansion, kind of like the one you might imagine Anne Rice living in. And so you get there, and the Garden District, all these huge live oak trees are, like, framing it, and they're kind of dripping with 
Mardi Gras beads that are clinging there from celebrations past. And you get there and um, uh, the California experience of this is people in Halloween costumes and tie-dye, you know, and fairy wings. But this is a black tie <laughs> level event. Uh, and this year's theme was Don's Macabre. So a lot of people had painted their faces as sort of that sugar skull uh, Day of the Dead look. A lot of people in black and red and people wearing glorious gowns and great chocolates from the guys. I kind of phoned it in and we, you know, Macy's chic, <laughs> but uh, a lot of vintage clothing. And um, whereas normally, if you go to a Halloween costume party or a Halloween party, there are people dressed like dressed like a penguin or dressed like a you know a Disney character or dressed like this is witches sort of um, putting to them to the nines. Like they're they're just putting on their their their, their formal attire. So it's witchy clothing or occulty or vintagey or steampunky clothing, but it's no one even, they're not in costumes so much as they've, they've dressed them. It's like Witch Sunday Best. How about that? And um, uh, Devin Hunter, the host of Modern Witch Radio, another podcast, the MC, and there were a lot of different entertainments. Uh, there was a, uh, a vampire artistic theme sort of puppet show that kicked the night off, and there were musical performers. Uh, there was a ritual uh, performed by another, um, to my knowledge, a Bay Area native, um, Morpheus Ravenna of uh, the fairy tradition, I think. Uh, she's a, but she's an, uh, a devotee of the Morrigan. So there was a um, there was a there was a, a ritual that you could participate in or observe, depending on what you wanted to do. And there was the tables and tables of food and like. Southern glorious food, and so it's like there's dirty rice and jambalaya, and I, for the first time in my life, um, as a witch, had frog legs, which was fine um, in the sauce. So like that, that felt very witchy of me. Open bar, which is great at a magical gathering, right? And lots of readers there as well, so you could go and get a um, paper reading, and uh, just everyone in sumptuous attire in a centuries-old building. It was the Ellis Mansion, so I say centuries old. I have to confirm. A very old <laughs> New Orleans uh, event, and uh, it was lovely and well worth. And- uh, very friendly. Everyone was very friendly. I sort of worry going to these that I'm going to do. There was a person I came with and sit there and think, oh, that's nice. Oh, look at that. That's very nice. Yeah, oh, shit, card. No, everyone was super friendly. We made I made friends with um, people I was in line with to get my picture taken or people at the auction that they were holding or like everyone was just willing to talk to you and and because you're in a place like that it's very easy to start spring up or to spark a conversation you just start talking about look at this hand-painted wallpaper or look at this alabaster sculpture of a satyr you know like these kinds of kinds of things so it's a magical evening uh, and, and how did you find how did you find the demographics of the people that attended was it a, a good variety or were there was it did it skew young or old or male or female uh, or whatever well it's so it's not an inexpensive thing to go to the witch's ball i think the tickets were like 140 at the end they're um and traveling and hotel so i think it's good a bit older um, or at least sort of like, you know, middle age um, for that particular event. 
and as far as a lot of different okay the word witch is really hard to nail down right <laughs> but uh, a lot of different traditions represented so there were people who were part of like the New Orleans voodoo scene there were uh, Wiccan practitioners like myself uh, but then there were also I struck up a conversation with a woman who uh, she practiced the Sangreal which is Sangreal Sangreal I don't know how you pronounce it, Sangreal which is um, Christian occultism, uh, Christian witchcraft, which the area we have Christo pagans, which is kind of like a, a sort of a new age way of being both like magical and a and a Christian. But that's an authentic sort of Gnostic tradition out there that I wasn't aware of uh, among like Catholics. So uh, those people, and then people who are just not witches, but just heard it's a great event. Like who wouldn't want to go to a witch's ball in New Orleans? So. Um, so they were, and they weren't they weren't looky loos or you know like trying to take lots of selfies with witches because they're so crazy. There was um you know they were really excited to be there. Does that make sense? Well, yes. Yeah, so it, hopefully, what it sounds like is that either there were authentic practitioners attending, or there were people who had an authentic interest and uh, respect. Mm-hmm. For it was a very what it was. This was not a sort of pop out and go boo spooky Halloween experience. There were no, you know, cotton uh, cobwebs bought at Walgreens stretched across anything. You know, and people, you know, of course, people had a lot of fun with it. It wasn't solemn or stuffy. You know, people. Uh, there's a, there's a hat competition. <laughs> there's a witch's hat competition, and uh, the. Etsy's finest was was well represented. You know, people with these amazing creations on their head of um, skeletons and flowers and feathers and things. But um, so it wasn't stuffy, but it was uh, it it wasn't hokey. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And, and of course, you know, New Orleans has a reputation. I'm wondering, maybe you can share just just one little debaucherous tidbit. <laughs> Well, um, so there, uh, Bourbon Street, shall we say, uh, that's an all ages sort of bacchanal <laughs> any night of the week, and I wasn't expecting that. Um, you go down Bourbon Street, and it's um, the you know like every every everything's a bar or a strip club, or one male strip club. And everything's a, uh, uh, everyone's drinking, and every age is represented. There are like 65 year old married couples walking around with um, hurricane daiquiris in their hands, smiling and enjoying themselves. And at the very end of the sort of party part of Burden Street, it just gets black, like dark. There's no, like, no street lights. And you're in the gay section. And, um,. Unbeknownst to maybe to, to a lot of people who just kept walking and smiling and realized what they were, and and uh, New Orleans had, had quite the quite the little gay section and um, so you have your Oz, which is your club club kid sort of dance to really loud music and wait too long for a drink kind of established you know kind of club and I have never um, heard a dance mix of living on a prayer but that's south for you so I did I can, I can say that now 
So across the street is sort of the more, maybe the little older uh, generation is uh, at uh, Lafitte in Exile, which is named after a gay pirate who saved New Orleans somehow. <laughs> and uh, the, uh, it was after Halloween, and there were quite the, quite the lots of costumes there um, being on. Uh, uh, you know, putting a full-length floor-to-ceiling mirror right next, right, right in, uh, behind the, the uh, urinal trough in a, uh, in a bar. That's a particular choice, I see. That's a, <laughs> and then we asked the bartender, where should we go next? And he was, uh, okay. And he was a, a Californian expatriate. He was trying to, he was kind of condescending about this place called Rawhide. And so I said, oh, well, does it have a back room or something? And he said, it is. It's just the whole thing. It's just a back room. It's just delicious. So that's where we went. <laughs> and it was absolutely this sort of like southern, seedy, smoky because everything's everything's smoky there. <laughs> it really is. It's a it's a back room with a bar in it, uh, uh, with lots of, of of leather vests and and longing looks. And the rest of the story um, uh, is too old too old for my ears. <laughs> uh, you will but, you, you will um, save for the book. That's right, for the memoir and the Lifetime original movie. I'm thinking of having uh, Corey Feldman play me. But uh, it, it it was, uh, you wanted, uh, all the New Orleans bars are dive bars, and this is a dive bar. That was kind of, it was kind of fun. So it was just great to see that the, the gay section of the city is, like, literally across the street. <laughs> We're just one block down from the straight partying blocks of the city and throughout all of it is like, is magic. There's, there's voodoo stores and, and everything is there. So am I selling this experience of New Orleans? Um, you are. It makes us all want to go there and only go out at night when it's kind of foggy and misty and the lights. And the absolutely. <laughs> I want to actually, if I ever go again, I want to like take someone, get a folding table and share and just like be a Jackson square reader for a day. I don't know if there's a union or something, but I think that would be great. So like, Street for tourists, <laughs> you know. I think I think go for in it. that space. So, well, but, well, thank you for sharing some of your highlights yeah. of your Halloween lights. celebration. Well, some of the low lights, but I realize I'm going to have to wait to read most of the low lights. There we go. <clears throat> now I have to say I'm I'm quite looking forward to both of our guests this evening. Yes. We've got quite the um, the lineup. I love, I adore Ms. Rabbit. I've been a student of hers, and well, I'll save it for the show. I'll save my. I, I always go to the hero worship mode, and I'll I'll, I'll save it for the for the interview. That's right. You might you might as well just wait and 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 worship her in person more or less. That's right. So, well, speaking of which, shall we go ahead and move into speaking with her? Absolutely. All right. I just want to remind people that, one, you're listening to the Amethyst Oracle, and two, if you would like to get into the queue for a reading later in the show, you can Skype in from the show page, or you can call 646-716-5510 in order to do so. So we're going to take a a quick little break here, and then we are going to come back, and we are going to be speaking with Yeshe Rabbit. And coming up a bit later, our interview with Death.
This month's guest on the Amethyst Oracle is holy woman, tantric dharma pagan, devotee of the goddess, and lover of life, Yeshe Rabbit. Yeshe Rabbit Matthews is a writer, singer of sacred songs, ritualist, tarot reader, and feminist futurist who has been featured on NPR and is a regular teacher and presenter at local and national gatherings including the Northern California Women's Herbal Symposium, Pantheacon, the Berkeley Pagan Festival, and many other creative projects, community activities, and service initiatives that she is a part of. Yeshe Rabbit is co-owner of the Sacred Well in Oakland, as well as founder and presiding high priestess of Kaya Coven, a locus for those drawn to creating magical family with personal expression and an absence of dogma. Yeshe Rabbit began practicing Buddhist meditation with her mother at the age of four. At the age of 27, she began studying Tibetan Buddhism, and at the age of 35, she took refuge with Lama Lodo. She has received teachings and empowerments from Tibetan teachers, alongside teachings and empowerments with Western teachers. With Eric Dupree, she founded Dharma Pagan, the intersection of Buddhist and pagan teachings at a lively crossroads where free will and mind training meet magical and mythic phenomena. And she is currently a board member of the Pantheon Foundation. You can find out more about Yeshe Rabbit and her thousand petals of work and service by visiting www.wayoftherabbit.com. If you'd like to find out more about her work with Dharma Paganism, you can visit www.dharmapagan.org. If you'd like to find out more about her and the Pantheon Foundation that she is a board member of, you can visit www.pantheonfoundation.org. And if you'd like to find out more about Kaya Coven, or Come As You Are Coven, you can visit www.kayacoven.org. That's C-A-Y-A coven.org. So please join Heisey and Charlie in welcoming to the Amethyst Oracle, Yeshe Rabbit. And welcome to the show, Rabbit. Hello, thank you so much for having me. Can you hear me all right? We can hear you just fine. We surely can. And and hopefully okay. you could hear that the 10,000 Maniacs crowd obviously loved having the fact that you were going to be on now, too. <laughs> Cheering and applauding. <laughs> Terrific. <laughs> I thought that was very, very um, favorably timed. One would say that was an auspicious um, introduction. My goodness, I certainly hope I can live up to it. You made me sound so wonderful. <laughs> I have to say, I was like, "Wow, you know, he makes he makes all this sound so glamorous." <laughs> well, I, I don't don't underestimate your glamour. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you, my dear. It is so nice to be here with you guys tonight. I loved hearing about the um, witch's ball, Charlie, and your adventures there, and I was. Um, reminded of a time when I used to live in New York City and I went to the Limelight or one of those places. I think it was the Limelight. That was my favorite one. And I did hear 
a techno version of Like a Prayer. And I think it was life-changing. I think it may have changed my life. I don't know if I would be where I am now. (laughs) If I had not heard Like a Prayer mixed as a techno song. So there you go. Well, that, that's it. Then I'm putting a candle on my altar for John Bon Jovi. Obviously, he he <laughs> underestimates his power to transform lives. Absolutely. <laughs> well, how are things going? I'm so happy to be here and to talk with you about divination tonight. This is so exciting. Well, things are, are going great. Um, and, and since you mentioned divination, what, maybe you could just give us a little bit of history about yourself in terms of divination and working with oracles and things and where you discovered those and how you came to to embrace them and, and work with them. Oh, sure. Okay. I can, I'll start with, um, I'll start with the Tarot because I think that's really where, where things begin for me um, with the path of divination that I'm on now. Um, I always for my whole life, was the kind of child and then later young adult who kind of had premonitions and some dreams that came true. And I think we all have those things. A lot of us who find our way to the world of magic have those things as children and young adults. And so I did too, but I never did any kind of formal divination. And I didn't get into Tarot until I was uh, almost 30, I was maybe 28 or 29 when I picked up the tarot because I've now been I'm I've now been doing it well I guess I must have been 28 because I've now been doing it for 12 years and I picked up the tarot um, professionally like right around the same time that I decided to even learn the tarot um, so I had a reading with a reader who had been working with me for years and I would see her for readings and she was a confidant and a teacher and a wise woman friend and she her name is is Linda and she had been reading for 20 years and we were sitting there and it was my final reading with her before I moved to California actually when she said she kind of turned to me and she said all right listen The cards have been telling me you need to be doing this. This is something you're supposed to do. And I said, well, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know how to do that. And she said, oh, well, here. And she picked up the cards, and she just laid them out, and she said, give me a reading. And I said, okay, okay, I'll try. So I just laid out a few cards, and I gave her a reading, and she said, okay, Look in, look at this. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen next. What's going to happen next is that you're going to learn the tarot, and you're going to learn it your own whole way. And you can go and read a book, but then throw out the book. The book isn't important. Just sit and do it over and over and over. And then eventually you'll know, because you'll know you're really a reader, because you'll lay the cards down and you'll look at them, And you'll look up and you'll start talking and you won't really need to look at them again because the story will all be there. And so she kind of, I don't know, gave me this target to shoot for. And so I 
I found myself picking up a deck and doing exactly that and establishing my own internal rhythm of tarot before I ever even picked up a book. And then once I picked up books and started to learn book definitions, I was pleasantly surprised that in a lot of cases they were really similar. In some cases they were different. The reason I share this part of the story is because the way that I come to these different types of divination is often by chance or by happenstance in a moment. And I just kind of sort of have the audacity to try it. And that's really what it is. It's that really at a given moment, I'll just look at something and I'll be like, I think I could do that. And so I just do it. And I don't mean to sound, I don't know, brazen or I don't know. I don't want to sound like egotistical about it. It's not like that. It's more like I just look at it and I feel close to it and I feel an attraction is there that I want to try. And so I just pick it up and I just do it. And then usually the first two or three times of trying it tell me whether I'm going to like to go learn this. Because, for example, I don't really, you know, like I really appreciate reading my horoscope. I really love what Astroberry does. And I have no desire to do all that calculation. That's not really the way that I like to work. I like to work with something that allows for me to have a little bit less calculation, a little more flexibility. So I tend to favor systems where there's a strong intuitive component where the meanings of the individual symbols are somewhat simple, yet uh, slightly inscrutable or mysterious to me, so that I kind of have to go into the small aperture of understanding and then journey into the kind of vastness of possible definition beyond that. So the reason that I like the bones and the dice is because they're very simple that way. And yet the combination of them or the way that they fall in relation to one another tells you an awful lot about um, those just very simple, basic meanings. And it kind of starts to expand and build out a platform on which your own intuition, you know, that bird-like fluttering thing can descend and sort of rest. So the Mo is the newest one, the dice. And this is a six-sided die with the five elements represented, five Tibetan elements, earth, air, fire, water, and space represented on five sides of the die. And then on the sixth side of the dice is a blank, which uh, that figures in when you're rolling. Like, for example, if I roll and I get all elements on the first try, the question or the person asking the question is very clear in their intent. They kind of have a They have a vision or a goal of where they want to go. But then if I throw the dice and there's, you know, like two of them that come up with elements, but three, two or three of them come up with that gray, flat side, then I know, oh, the question is not clear. 
and this person might be in a cloudy time or there might be some obstruction to the real question at hand. So, you know, maybe you're saying, am I going to get a new job? But what you really mean is, should I go back to school and change careers? But you don't know that that's what you mean yet until you get into it. So that's why I like the dyes. And they're only, I've only maybe picked these, I only got these like within the last year. So I've only been practicing these for about maybe nine months. It would be a year in January. So, yeah, right about 10 months. But I love them. They're amazing. It's an amazing system. It's so, so good when you get into the whole structure of Tibetan Buddhism. There's there's a lot more. We'll talk about that maybe a little later. But then the Shagai, which are the sheep knuckle bones, Mongolian and really um, circumpolar divination. Um, these these shagai uh, they have a uh, four sided system. So the humped over system or the humped over side is the means the um, sheep and the uh, cloven side. It represents the um, goat. And then the strong S-curve along the edge is the camel. And then the uh, less, it's it's also an S, but it's a less uh, defined S, represents the horse. Now, in these, the horse is the most favorable because why? In these cultures that practice this seven nation, horses are wealth. Horses are everything. They are your food. They are your sustenance. They are your companions. They are everything. The camel is temperamental and is a lot of work, a lot of stubbornness, resistance, and obstacle. The goat, also a lot of work and sometimes with an aggressive nature. And then the sheep, docile, um, productive without being flashy. So I got into these systems and that and the Shagai I've been working on for probably about mm, well, probably about five years, I would say. I started looking at them when I started but I didn't have a whole set. So it was hard for me at first because I only had one sheep knuckle bone. I got some lamb and uh, made it so that I could get this bone. But then I didn't really want to, I really don't like to eat lamb, and I don't like to kill lambs, and I just didn't like that whole thing. So I didn't get another one. I waited until I found somebody who already had them and had gotten them, and then I got the rest of my stuff. So it kind of <laughs> came on. together, like it kind of came together haphazardly over two years, where for a, first, a while I was rolling what one knuckle bone and I would roll it four times to get one roll. It was very awkward. It's like trying to cast the I Ching with one single coin. You can <laughs> do it. It's just a little a little awkward. So it it so that that system also is very intuitive. You know, I've basically given you the entirety of the understanding right there in those four animals and yet in combination they tell a story. So this might be kind of a lengthy explanation, but that's kind of how I came to to doing it, and it's how I I work with the system. 
It's interesting. A lot of times <clears throat> when you sort of first encounter or when I first encountered um, things like this, like bone divination or shell divination or playing card divination, where there's sort of a, a counting up of the things and the count of the things has meaning. It from the outside initially seems like, oh, this is going to be very static because you know, this this bone means this way means just mean like like it's a canned meaning. But I guess the the closer I get to it, and maybe, and reading a bit of like Michelle Jackson's work, it seems like there's a tremendous amount. You ha- you do have the meanings associated with the number of times the bone went a certain way. But how do, how does the intuitive part play in for you as the reader? Because I feel like that's the big part that people don't see. Well, okay, here's an example. Um, I might cast down the four sheep knuckles. And now here we have a goat on one side and then a sheep and a goat together in the middle and then a mm-hmm. goat far on the other side. So that's going to tell me a couple of things. Oh, and the three goats are kind of in a line mm-hmm. and the sheep is standing sort of off to the side. So I'm looking at this you know, at this divination, I'm like, okay. And um, I'm going to immediately look for a couple of things. First, I see, okay, all those goats are in a row. Three, And there's three goats. That's, you know, usually nobody's favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a bad thing necessarily, but it's not necessarily a good thing. Three goats is a lot of goats. It's... Um, you know, it means like what's going to happen now is going to be fierce. It's going to mm-hmm. be assertive. It's going to be aggressive. The meaning of it is uh, butegui, which means it cannot be done. It's like obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. Now I'm looking at the divination and I literally can see three major obstacles all lined up in a row. And there, it's, it almost looks like a defense line or like, a, you know, like the line of defense um, when, in a football game. And then you've got this sheep as the only offensive player trying to break through that line. Mm-hmm. And the sheep's docile nature is not going to be any match for three goats going head to head in that line. So as already I see three obstacles. Now, does the, you know, one sheep, three goats, it cannot be done, simple meaning, you know, or you know, very um, pointed meaning, tell me how many obstacles? No. But the Shagai themselves will show you. You know, they will lay themselves out in such a way that, that there's a picture to it. There are other ways that you can do this, too. I've also used these with a divination tray and where I made a tray and basically drew quadrants with white chalk on the inside of a, of a you know, terracotta tray and um, cast the shagai on top of that. And then I could see, like, where were their obstacles in what parts of their lives from the from the quadrants on the tray and that would also give me a clue because it's like it cannot be done well what's that meaning and you know what is that meaning in reference to but if it were that these three goats showed up in work in money and in 
uh, you know, work and money and in, say, like prestige or, you know, your personal reputation or your something like your outward appearances, right? That's going to show me what the obstacle is, whereas the sheep sitting over in the love corner all by itself will say to my, I might say, you know what, cultivate the intimate relationships. Now is not a time for bold moves. Very cool. And it's interesting because you're almost never going to have the same layout. I mean, as opposed to someone, if you, you know, people who lay out cards right. in, you know, three rows of two right. or whatever it is, you're, you're, it's always going to be about proximity, I guess, plus the, the meanings, plus, plus, I, that's a very cool system. And I think it, it just seems as a reader, very sexy to get to throw bones onto a mat. <laughs> right? There's literally nothing like it. I will tell you. <laughs> It's a very it, it's a very very powerful moment to sit there and to kind of get that very um, ancient feeling because you know uh, the Mongolian bone divination with sheep knuckle bones is not the only knuckle bone divination going. There's a form of this in ancient Egypt, the mm. uh, um, astragali, which are a knuckle bone divination. Um, and so there's this timeless quality to it. And of course, you know, you, even the, you know, who knows who, honestly, who knows with, <laughs> with the Silk Road trading and the circumpolar Turkic nomadic peoples and the travel back and forth between the Levant, you know, in the Levantine region it is entirely possible that the Mongolian knuckle bone and Egyptian knuckle bone divination come from a common root. It is entirely possible. Clearly, not... Atlantis. Hello. <laughs> this must be Atlantis at work. <laughs> or or aliens. The Atlantis. <laughs> I, I don't know. Exactly. As 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 a comedic, I'm going to tell you. Actually, it's the Lemurians. The Lemurians. Oh. oh okay. Mm-hmm. I always wonder if they did like football teams back in the you know, the Atlanteans versus the Lemurians. Whatever. I'm sorry, no, but but okay, okay. So there's possibly a commonality, but hum- humanity has always decided that gambling and its randomness are a great way to do a reading. So I think I don't know. It just sounds very, very. Where does one get four? I mean, you had a process for getting your four knuckle bones, but are there are there? There's not like Shigai sets. Uh, that well, you can no, order no, you can buy them now. There's now I see them online. When I was first looking, I didn't find them online, but now you can get them. Um, you can get. I would say go type in Google Shagai. Uh, there is a Mongolian online store that sells them, mm-hmm. and um, that I know of at least one. And then the other thing you could do is is type in Astragalus um, A S. T R A G A L U S, um, and see if you can order some, some of those. Those come with sticks that have uh, been burned or sliced in some way. That that have, but there's, but it's got a traditional number of bones that you can get along with it. So you can get your bones through those two ways. But I did, I did have a, a sort of slow collection process. And the um, Mo divination, there are different ones. The in our 
our lead up to tonight's show, I noticed that we talked about the Mo of Manjushri, which there is a Mo of Manjushri. It's a one dice uh, system that has a different syllable printed on each side of a six syllable mantra printed. And the mon, you know, as syllables in mantra, basically each um, represent an entire universe worth of information within the ritual um, and within the recitation. So too do these individual syllables kind of each represent a conceptual wealth of information. Um, they're not. Tibetan, I'm actually taking a Tibetan liturgical, a liturgical Tibetan language class right now. And Tibetan is an entirely syllabic language. And it's not based on putting letters together to make a word. It's based on putting syllables together in a context that has a meaning that is... um, it is very artful. It's a very artful language. So in each of these syllables, there's this, there's this whole song, like this whole litany of possible meanings. And that's why uh, there's endless wisdom system of Manjushri. The system that I'm using of Mo is actually a specifically feminine system. It is a five dice system in the Dzogchen tradition um, and it is uh, the long style divination of that was cycle that was given to um, Chokyam Namkaino Rinpoche. And he is one of the teachers that I've studied with. And um, this divination is dedicated to the deity Dorje Yudronma. Dorje Yudronma is a female deity who rides on the back of a deer. Her vahana is deer. And she is um, the patroness of protection of the secret divinatory teachings of the long cycle. And so what you do, and I actually, this was really fun, tonight before I came on the show, I had my regular Tuesday night tea and chanting group, which we meet every Tuesday online at 7, and we do this. We do about a half an hour of chanting. And so tonight what we did was we chanted the mantra of Dorje Yudonma and did this ritual that is listed, you know, in the book that you do when you work with her divination system. So that before I came to this show, I would be um, all nice and, uh, you know, having having awakened awakened all of that that wisdom that is inherent in the system, so that I could answer questions or you know explain it a little bit. But it's a it's a very fun definitely work. Well, it's a very it's a very fun, easy system um, because it's based on these five elements. And what you do is you you chant to uh, Dorje Yudronma, who is like the queen of the mountain. She's you know the the peaceful, ben, um, benevolent 
bestower of wisdom blessings, and she has her elemental sisters, and they're her retinue. And so you're basically um, creating a mandala when you invoke her of calling in in this very simple way all the directions, the ground of being, and wisdom nature itself. And then you pass your divination tool through, in this case, dice, but we did it with tarot cards tonight in Tea Enchanting. You pass it through incense smoke three times while saying, Omahum, 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 which is the purifying mantra, ultimate purification mantra. And then um, you chant to Dorje Yudonma and you chant Om Jana Panga Dakini Akashaya Chatung. And you chant that over and over and over. And it says chant for many times. Repeat this many times. And you repeat that until you, and you while holding your dice. And then when you feel like the time is right, you shake the dice onto the tray or onto the table, and then whatever comes up is the answer to the question that was proposed. And then there's, you know, similarly to the Shagai, there's like a series of, of um, rough, or, or to say like to Iching, you know, you, go, you get your trigram and you go look it up the same way. You get your thing and then you go look it up, your, your outlay of five die. And then you go look that up, and then that has different categories of meaning. And there's a certain element of it that is like the way is open, the way is shut. There are certain elements of it of this is just great, do nothing, it'll be fine. There's other times when it's like nothing you can do is going to work. And then there will be lots of times where it says this will work. There are obstacles, but it will work if you do this, this, and this. And most of the time, What's being recommended are dharma practices of some sort, spending time with one's teacher, chanting, meditation, um, giving offerings to the deities, uh, climbing a mountain, hanging prayer flags, things like that. So it's just quite a it's it's quite a detailed system that helps you not only work with a prediction or a, a state of being. But it also helps you unlock the Dharma and the teaching. Is there a big intuitive component to it, or is it more going and consulting the the meanings that are prescribed? Well, I think both. Um, and, you know, I would definitely say we should check back when I've done it for another year or so, because I'll know much better then. But... Right now, my experience is that it's about 50-50. It's that I'll go and consult basically the kind of cryptic short phrases that indicate, like, this is open, this is not open, this is helpful, this is not helpful. And I'll then sort of just sit with that and look, and I, I, <clears throat> I just basically look at the dice, I look at the colors, it's not as um, visceral as the bones. It's not as um, animistic in a way because there's not like a personality. But because I'm a witch, mm-hmm. the elements are like my 
sisters and brothers. They're like very close to me. I feel close to them. I feel like I work with them a lot. So, so then that makes it easier. You know, I imagine that if you're following the strictly Tibetan system, it would be referencing a lot of sutra and a lot of different rituals about the elements and their meaning. But even there, having the the capacity to take the thing and then just let your intuition kind of run a little bit wild with it, I think that's the risk for all of us, isn't it? You know, but mm-hmm. it's also the most, it's like where the rubber meets the road. Have you ever mix the dice and the bones and see what trouble you can get into? Well, that's what I've been doing. That's actually what I'm doing with these readings that I've been giving for folks. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. That's right. Yeah. No, it's it's funny. It's, I just started, though, to do this. Mm-hmm. It's something new, and that's why I put it out there, because I said, well, you know what? This is really feeling cool, and there's life in it, and it's very interesting for me. I'm learning a lot doing it. Maybe people would like to come on this journey with me. So I just put it out there and said, I'll do this for a donation, you know, here's you know, suggested donation is thirty five dollars, but whatever, send whatever, and I'll do you a, one of these readings. And what I do is I do them together, and I've actually also been putting in um, a little bit. I put in a little extra stuff too. I put in um, an, a little bit about the person's Tibetan astrological sign, so that you know, which is very similar to the Chinese astrology, but it's got it's got its own its own whole meaning. And then I'll, I've also added in, um, I've, I've cross-referenced, so I'll, I'll sit and I'll do the dice, and, and then I do the bones, and then I kind of sit with the whole thing. I write about each one, which what each one was saying, but then I kind of play them against each other. Uh, there was one that came up just perfectly. It was like, the biggest obstacle that the dice were saying, the biggest obstacle was going to be to, like, getting alone time to, to do what this person needed to do. And then the bones said, and so the thing you absolutely have to get, do is get very stubborn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like, oh, perfect, yeah, get stubborn about having alone time, you know. And um, and then what I've been doing is then I added in a couple other extra things. I added in the Tibetan astrology next year, February 19th of 2015 is Lothar, and we're going to go into the year of the wood sheep, which is um, a a year of relative calm compared to the wood horse. Fast growth, unpredictability, transformation. The sheep is a lot more docile, pending home and hearth, slow growth of one's personal wealth and assets, um, but steady uh, things that deliver over time. Not a great year for like hot ideas. A uh, much better year for um, cultivating what has always worked. Slow but steady wins the race, kind of thing. And um, so this wood sheep year that's coming is this. You know, so I kind of juxtapose that into the reading, and then I've been doing a little bibliomancy. I've been sitting with some of the writings of Pema Chodron, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, um, uh, His Holiness the Dalai Lama, and the um, Bardo Todo, the Book of the Dead, and um, the Prajnaparamita Sutra. And so I just sit with that 
after I do the reading and then I just open and I to a page and kind of look around until I find the quote. And that's been blowing my mind because the quotes that I'm finding for people to share in this divination are um, usually really relevant. And I'm it's really just like the first page I just opened to. It's, it's right there. So the, the, the text, the sutras are wanting to be seen. You know, they're wanting to be out there. Um, so I add that. And then I just did this little thing on a lark where I started to draw a card from this really cool, funky deck that I have by Marilyn and Thomas Twin Trees, which is called the um, Stones of Manifestation Ritual Deck. And I draw a stone, and each stone has a message. So, like, I'll give you an example. These people are really fantastic. They write beautifully. And the things that they have to say I I find to be very, uh, very relevant. Here's one. Um, Eulixite. So Eulixite, if you've ever seen it, we have some at Sacred Well. It looks like a TV stone. It's a clear crystal. And when you put it on top of paper that has writing on it, it magnifies the writing. And it's a um, kind of a flat calcite-looking stone. So I pulled Eulixite, and it says, Every wish, every bit of love wishes to know every other thing. This is a body. A body is a breath of spirit made physical. To incarnate is to unite limits with unlimitedness and then to laugh. And so then I just throw in this, this stone at the end. So it's funny you should ask me because I have been really mixing it up. That's it's, four divination systems right there. That's quite the, the gumbo. Yeah, <laughs> like, it is. It's sort of four different systems, but they're all related except for mm-hmm. the stone. The stone is, well, the stone is related in its own way. In the Tibetan Buddhist traditions, particularly the Nyingma, Vajrayana, Tantric paths, um, you hear a lot about um, like the wish fulfilling gem or mm. the triple jewel and the text themselves the words it's not even the words it's the syllables the syllables themselves are considered to be non-material crystalline structures that are literally magical and so when you chant a mantra you're actually doing a spell by laying word crystals into an alignment in a matrix of space-time. Now, like, to try to figure this out without sounding unbearably New Agey, I have to say, is difficult. I don't want to sound so New Agey that it feels like it has no substance. You know, sometimes it's <laughs> I, I too you. far. But I will say that these are systems that are very, very old. And they have a lot of intricacy because the mind, undistracted, is capable of great intricacy. So I've been trying to employ some intricacy in this new way that's forcing me to think differently about divination in general. Because as you know, doing tarot, it's a joy and you love it, but why do we all get so many decks? 
because we like to learn and we like to look at things in new ways and we like to stimulate our minds along a spectrum. So that's sort of it's been, yeah, for divination. <laughs> I think that um, your approach to divination really uh, benefits your students. I can say that at having been one in that you have just a different approach to these things and a um you know and you know based a little bit on your background not not coming from a tradition approach to things and for example I've been to tarot classes where it's okay today we're going to talk about the suit of of swords and this is what the one means and this is what the two means but in your class we had topics I'd never heard anyone teach before uh like how to instantly enter into an intimate relationship with a client with a built-in ending. And I thought, damn, that is something I have not... Clearly, it stuck with me. Uh, I'm so glad it helped. People don't teach. Or, well, you do. So people teach. But uh, <laughs> uh, but that's a. I think that, that your unique perspective and your blending of things and your willingness to go to these sort of untrodden places is of much benefit, uh, probably to your clients, but also to your students. Um, yeah. Well, thank you. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that you liked that. That's, I think one of the most important things, if you want to fully engage your intuition in a reading, it's to be able to create a safe space, a truly safe space where you can afford to be deeply intimate with this person's details, really, really intimate, so that real work can be done, but then so that you both kind of, like, later on aren't coughing nervously and looking the other way and talking about baseball, if you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> where you're just like, I, you know, all right, and now the end of this has happened, mm-hmm. and we go back to our normal, more reserved nature. I feel like it's so important and it's something that I think a lot of us are afraid to do. I think that it just and um I don't know your approach on these things you taught a lot about what is happening to the reader in the reading. I think people focus on what do you do? This is a three card reading. This is what the cards mean or you know what's your intuition what what does your intuition say about what these cards mean? People teach that, but your and you know having given thousands of readings, you were able to, in your classes, teach what is happening to the reader and what is happening to the client. And then what do we need to do if we know that? Uh, for example, an, um, I don't want to give away all your secrets, but you, uh, you, you described a process for beginning a reading by summing up the entire reading because of what that alleviates uh, in the anxiety of both the reader and the client, and I thought, damn, oh, okay, yeah. that well, that's yeah. that's a powerful technique, but and it's it's not based on any tradition. It's based on what happens to the psyche when it's giving a reading, and you know, and and there's anxiety there about getting it right, and what happens to the psyche when receiving a reading, like because what if this person is fake, or what if this person you know sees all my secrets? So I thought, right. so I, th- I I appreciate your. Uh, uh, just sort of um, multi-layered approach to divination. Um, I think it is. It is. Of, uh, we are of much. We are benefiting from it. 
That's thank awesome. you. Thank you so much for saying so. That's I'm so glad. I just loved having you in that class. I felt so honored that you would come <laughs> and take the class with me because obviously I think you are already quite adept at matters of tarot yourself, but it was really such a joy to have you there and to be able to kind of bounce things back and forth. And the spread that you designed was fabulous. I kept that. I just love it. That was just fabulous. Oh, so, thanks. Yeah. Hi, see, you're going to have to save us. We're gushing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> can, you, can you turn on the fire hose here? <laughs> um, well, I was curious. Uh, you know, you, I had, when I had posted the information, I had mentioned the <clears throat> the version of Mo that is related to Manjushri, and yours works um, with someone different or is based on someone different um to your knowledge anyway is the is shagai does it have any sort of spiritual tradition or deity or something that is kind of behind it in a way like the mo does um the mo i hope it's okay to say that yeah yeah the mo um well you know the mo is attached to uh, Tibetan Buddhism, but before Tibetan Buddhism is even a, a thing, um, there is Bonpo, which is the indigenous shamanistic religion of Tibet, although you would not hear Tibetans calling it shamanistic. They wouldn't use that word because in the Tibetan language, that word shamanistic um, has a kind of a, has garnered a negative connotation Similarly to the way that, say, witch has garnered a negative connotation in our language. Um, So it is nonetheless a shamanistic um, practice. And this dice divination, this sortilage, does come from that earlier shamanistic tradition. These practices are taught in the Shangsheng Valley of Tibet. And that is where the main Bunpo Monastery of Tibet was formerly located. Now, there's like a whole story about this, but I won't get into it now. But it's, it's, I drove past, we drove past that monastery. It's now in disrepair and pretty much derelict, according to our. Uh, our guidebook, but it was the seat of this tradition before Tibetan Buddhism came along. And then when Tibetan Buddhism came along, it really uptook a lot of the deities and energies of of the local people and their kind of local gods and turned them into Dharma protectors. Now, Mongolia has Buddhism. In fact, as some might know, um, the the name Dalai Lama was bestowed upon the uh, fourth Dalai Lama by uh, a a Mongolian Khan. It's actually a Mongolian uh, language title, Dalai, is uh, ocean, Lama, high wisdom. So 
the Mongolian people retain a lot of the similar types of local shamanistic spirits that we would have found or do find in Tibetan Bonpo. Um, Bon is the word Bonpo is like practice of this or the practitioner who practices Bon. Um, but in the Bon tradition, there's, there is this same kind of animistic sort of lodge. And I wouldn't be surprised if once upon a time there were castings with bone. In fact, I'm fairly certain of it because you do see a lot of bone imagery, bone ornamentation coming up in Pantric Buddhist uh, in tankas and texts. So I wouldn't be surprised if there is some kind of a common um, practice of bone divination that was once more popular in Tibet. Now it's dice. And of course, dice are originally made from bone and ivory. Um, so I think it's I think it's fairly similar, but the Shagai are more dedicated to say you would more petition your local spirits. So it's not any single one. Now, in the Tibetan version, it's also not any single one. There are multiple deities that govern them too. But the um, the deities of the Shagai are more likely to be uh, connected to just local practices and local shamans as opposed to, say, any sutra or text, if that makes sense. It does. And and it makes sense too because if you think of the 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 bones coming from the knuckles of the animal, then it's coming from the feet of the animal that was walking on the land and therefore it's more connected to the land and the spirits of that land. Mhm. And then whereas with the Mo system it's it's something that's more derived from the uh, larger aspects of deities, <laughs> I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, the the, yeah, the bigger well, teaching. The, and, and, it, and, it, and it has to do with the sutras that are specifically attached to the tantras, the, the readings, the passages, and the works that, um, that they re- relate to the elemental um, rites. So it's it's a more you might say um, the mo is is more literary. Yeah. Um, I know it's going to sound like a complete non sequitur. I wanted to um, make sure that I gave you a chance to make a mention about the pagan activism conference that's coming up with the Pantheon Foundation next week. Oh, how wonderful you are! So wonderful to remember this. I had also made a note in my mind to find a way to talk about it. And I, I'm so glad you've given me the chance to. Thank you. So this is just one of the most exciting things that I have been involved with in a long time. And I feel so humbled and privileged to be a part of it. Um, I have come up with this conference and then had so much help from some great folks in putting it all together. The Pantheon 
Foundation board and our advisors have been immeasurably helpful. Um, so Chi Ketzel, Zuti Odin's daughter, and I are working on this. And it's the Pantheon Foundation's first and hopefully annual, first annual pagan activism conference online. What it is is um, a series of nine panels starting Friday night, November 21st, and then four panels on Saturday and four panels on Sunday, the 22nd and 23rd, on topics related to creating activism in the pagan community and pagans talking to one another about their individual efforts and how to strengthen them. And it's all taking place in video conferences online. So nobody actually even has to leave their house to participate in this conference. It's eco-friendly. <clears throat> we decided because we um, we decided to, to lower our ticket prices because we heard from some people who were like, I really want to come, but things have been really hard. I'm an activist. I actually like end up paying a lot of money rather than making a lot of money to get the things done in the world that I want to see done in the world. And we were like, okay, so we lowered the prices. So the tickets are really affordable. It's $40 for a ticket for the entire conference or $10 to come to a single panel. We have on Friday night an amazing earth activism panel with Starhawk, uh, Lauren Lovecraft, um, and and special guest Andy Kahn, Celia um, Solario. On Saturday, we have panels about um, issues affecting pagans of color. We have a panel about um, pagan online media activism, and David Salisbury is going to be on that panel. Um, Heather Green of the Wild Hunt is going to be on that panel. Um, We have a panel about creating infrastructure. We have uh, Catalina Amalia Amor talking about what it is like to be a bilingual priestess and run a, a community that is in both English and Spanish language. And then we have um, Sam Webster coming in to talk about like what happens if your organization gets to the point where you maybe want it to be a nonprofit the um, panel, the panelists for the Pagans of Color panel are fantastic. Um, Key Armand, the Conjure in, of Conjure in the City, and Crystal Blanton is going to be there. I mean, uh, the host of Black Wit, the Black Witch blog, is going to be there. Then on Sunday, we have our keynote with Lauren Coyle, which will be um, in part. Um, an, a lecture, and then the rest of it will be interactive. It's really good to reach out to people and listen to what they have to say and provide uh, space to after her presentation. So that's exciting. And we have other panels. We have, I'm going to be on a panel called Consenting Adults that is about sexual ethics in the pagan community. We've dealt with a lot of. Um, a lot of challenges with that in the community this year, particularly, and it's a topic on the line. So I'm very happy to be and I'm honored to be there with Shauna Ora Knight, who's writing on this subject. I think is absolutely fantastic. 
fantastic. And Christine Hoff Kramer. I mean, it's just, it's going to be a really, really wonderful event. There's a lot of important discussions. And one of the nicest things about it is that you can interact with the panelists. So people who come in the dialogue can listen to what the panelists are talking about, but can also be posting each other questions, um, you know, raising their own points. Um, there will be definitely time for Q&A and group discussion on each panel. So I'm really looking forward to this. And, and um, you can find more by going to the website, pantheonfoundation.org. Uh, the hashtags that we're using for the conference are hashtag P-A-C-O, all caps, and hashtag right action, R-I-T-E, action. And so I'm really excited about it. I hope I hope lots of people will come avail themselves of this. But even if you can't make it to the conference itself, uh, the record, we will be recording each of the panels, and those will be available for people to watch later if they don't get to come to the conference. And I just want to repeat because there was a, a little bit of static there when you said it, that the the information is at pantheonfoundation.org. That's right. And then for the details, maybe you can just uh, give those for how people can contact you and what uh, reading for 2015 will uh, include um, for the ones that you're offering between now and the end of the year with the Shagai and the Mo. Oh, sure. Um, well, so I'm I'm doing these these preparations. It's about a two-page reading emailed to you. Um, and you can look at my blog, wayoftherabbit.com, um, and there's a post there about it. Um, <clears throat> or you can just email me, yesharabbit at gmail.com, and let me know that you'd like to receive a divination. I'm asking donations of $35 for this service. And what I do is I cast your, I'll need your birthday, and I cast your dice, and I cast the shy, and I look a little into an astrology, and I also do the bibliomancy the quotes, um, from sacred texts, and I especially admired on this film that, which is just a beautiful, beautiful message and a so beautiful. And the whole the you know, Well, we're having a little connection issue uh, of you going in and out. So I'll just repeat for people that um, if you would like to uh, either get a reading or make an inquiry about the reading, you can email Rabbit. Uh, by sending an email to Yeshe Rabbit, which is Y E S H E R A B B I T at gmail.com. 
and it is a, for a suggested donation of $35. Uh, however, that is being left up to you and what it is that you are able to afford. And she will be including things from the Shigai, from the Mo Dice Divination, from Tibetan Astrology, uh, from the the deck for the stones, as well as Bibliomancy from Sacred Texts. And so hopefully you will take advantage of that. She will be offering those between now and December 31st. And they will be looking at the whole of 2015 overall, it's I, I, from what I understand that she has said that it'll be kind of an overview for 2015 covering um, areas uh, such as health, wealth, luck, love, spiritual well-being, personal growth, family, and omens. So I would encourage you to take advantage of that. And I'm not sure sure if she is still connected. Are you still there, Rabbit? Well, fortunately, that connection issue didn't happen until right towards the very end of our conversation there. Um, but we do want to thank Rabbit for having joined us and having been here. It was certainly a pleasure being able to hear about her approach to these, but also just to hear about some of these um, techniques and tools from some other cultures that are unfamiliar to us. Uh, and we were very grateful for that. Uh, so uh, actually, I think that she might be back. And let us see, just so we can do our proper thank you. Um, and again, if you want to find out more information about Rabbit, or if you want to um, check out her blog for information on the readings, you can go to wayoftherabbit.com. Are you there, Rabbit? I am, and I'm sorry that we had a little glitch, but I just want to come back and say a proper goodbye. It was so great <laughs> to talk to you guys tonight. Well, and <clears throat> you're... You as well. We were very, very grateful to be able to to snag you. I, I knew it was your tea enchanting night, so it was very kind of you to be willing to do this following that. My pleasure. It all worked out great, and I just really, really enjoyed getting to come and talk about this. And um, it's never to be underestimated the joy of being able to share from one's heart with other people who are like sincere practitioners. So it was really nice because I know you guys love the tarot and love mm -hmm. divination. So I just wanted to say thank you because it felt really nice to be able to talk about this with you. You're a treasure and I'm inspired to go have a lamb chop and then perform <laughs> divination. You'll have so to no, I, I am. I really bone. want bone reading is on the 2015 to-do list. So, uh, but thank you so much. Take care. Bye. I I, I I I might even say that Charlie and I have been doing bone readings all our lives. Um, that's all I'm going to say there. So coming up next is going to be our interview with Death herself. And as we go out of this conversation, I have chosen a, a special song that I would like to dedicate to Yeshe Rabbit uh, to that, that I think speaks directly to the work that she does and the, uh, well, it'll be a, a very familiar refrain for what it is that she 
does and what she says. So enjoy that. And following that little musical break will be our interview with death. listening to the Amethyst Oracle, Divination with a Queer Twist, with hosts Hi C and Charlie Harrington on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Find out more at facebook.com slash the Amethyst Oracle. Enjoy the show. For our next guest, we are very fortunate to be able to speak with a representative from a not-for-profit organization that has been doing benevolent work for humankind as far back as we can recall. Madeline Rue is the Senior Vice President of Communications for the Noble Order of the Deceased. She and other members of her order have been acknowledged for their benevolent and pervasive work on behalf of the living and have been known by a plethora of names including Santissima Muerte, Kali, Hell, Persephone, Melaina, Ereshkigal, and the Morrigan. The Noble Order of the Deceased operates chapters in every region where something is breathing. They are responsible for seeing to it that each organism is able to successfully manage to depart, expire, croak, perish, cease to be, push up daisies, breathe one's last breath, give up the ghost, go the way of the flesh, and of course rest in peace. Please 
join us in giving a warm welcome to that most certain of certainties, the star of the 13th Tarot Trump, Madeline Rue, a.k.a. Thank you for uh, for joining us, Death. But uh, first things first, for you, anything else? Elvis, yes or no? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm kind of under some restrictions about what I can say about Elvis. Just to let you know. I mean, if you think the lawyers on earth are bad. Now, you know, I also want to say thank you so much for taking time out of your extremely busy schedule to speak with us. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of thoughts around what is death. You know, people will say it's transformation or maybe it's nothingness or maybe it's just the end or it's a sort of transition. So my question is, who is the true death? Well, first of all, I want to thank you both for having me on the show. And I'm, you know, I'm not quite sure how you got a hold of my private number, but, uh, you know, I'm glad you did because we could clear up a bit of confusion. There's a lot of mythology out there about death. So let me first start by, by introducing myself. I'm Madeline Rue, and I'm currently an official spokesperson for the death order because it's really an order. You know, it's not really one person or one figure. And uh, as an order, it's pretty old. I think uh, only prostitution might be a bit of an older order we came after them, but I personally originated near some mountains near Hungary centuries ago. I'm not even sure if the mountain is still there. You know, I haven't been there for a spell, but, you know, I can speak openly for the order. I can't really go into detail about who specifically is in it, though. I hope you understand. Now, are you a Scorpio? Because, all right, according to Aleister Crowley, he seems to think you're a Scorpio. Is that, is that true? Well, well, Alistair, Alistair, you know, first of all, are you taking his word for it? Because you know Crowley, and, and, and he actually didn't know that much about our order as he wants everyone to think. But personally, for me, I, I'm a Capricorn, if you must know. Uh, well, okay, so so we we have Alistair Crowley presenting you as a Scorpio, and You've certainly been depicted in many different guises, many different ways throughout time, uh, and some of them have been positive. You know, the Egyptians, the Tibetans certainly had a very kind of positive outlook towards death, and some of them have been fearful, maybe even we could say the evil dead that is often represented in our modern media. Um, do you have any favorite representations or any that you've just kind of rolled your eyes at and tossed your sis away for? Well, uh, you know, no one really asks me these kinds of questions. You usually we're only asked to stop, stop, do what you're doing, please, stop. That's what we're usually asked. But, but now that you have asked, I, I, I would say that, I wonder what Hell would say. Uh, H-E-L, she's our CEO of the order. And she personally has really loved some imagery that has come from the Dark Goddess Tarot. I don't know if you've heard of that. Deck, it just came out not too long ago, but she, she really loved the image of herself, of Lilith, Callie, you know, La Santa Marta. You know, she just, she thought those were darling images. I personally 
as myself, I personally favor any dead bird graphic. I just kind of like dead birds or birds dying. I think that's always that always works. You know, we we really don't roll our eyes at any depiction. You know, because it's literally different from one being to the next. I mean, you you need to know that the ones that are actually doing the frontline work, not me, where I'm a spokesperson to speaking comfortably over the phone to you or the others that plan and schedule or put together the Google Calendar, um, the ones in the front line actually have to be professional shapeshifters. And uh, they need to come in the form that is least scary to the bee, which oddly is, is often a family dog from the child their childhood. So if you wanted a realistic depiction, I would go for Lassie. Okay. Now, what do you think about a lot of the new decks, you know, I think they're kind of softening the uh, the message with death, and they've been putting phoenixes and butterflies all over the cart. How do you how do you feel about phoenixes and butterflies representing you? Oh, I, you, I really, I don't mind as long as they're talking about us. You know, that's all that matters. They could put Hello Kitties on it if they wanted, and I'm sure someone has by now. Of course, we often see those images on tarot cards that are representing deaths, uh, and in the tarot. It's interesting to me that the death card appears in the middle of the major arcana cycle. Um, I think a lot of people, if you kind of just casually thought about it, would think, wouldn't it make more sense to have death at the end of the cycle? So I'm I'm curious how you feel about that placement in, in the middle of the cycle rather than being the one who gets to come in and have the grand finale. Well, now that's, that's very astute of you to think that. that is, that's an incredible... We've talked about this. We, we do have some, you know, as an order, we've been trying to figure out what we need to do about that. Although I might say that, you know, because you know how important placement is. I mean, placement's everything, you know, but I I personally don't mind us being in the middle. I mean, it, it's, if nothing else, it's becoming an exceedingly rare position to take in any sphere of human uh, interaction, so I think in the middle is fine. And, you know, as far as we're concerned, we always get the last word on everything, so that's all that really matters, not not where we are set in the image alphabet. Some of the earliest decks, like the Visconti Sforza or the Marseille, they would never put your actual name on the card. They always just left the number 13 on there, and that was sort of enough. What, was that your idea? No, no, you know, this is, this, I'm so glad you brought this up. Could we completely clear this myth up once and for all? I, it, it was originally an error in printing and uh, just was never caught. Uh, and when it was realized, they, they thought it was actually a good idea and just kept it going. So, like Play-Doh, it started as a mistake. Now, I'm curious, you know, one of the big topics right now in terms of politics and that kind of thing is jobs, jobs, jobs. Um, I'm wondering, do, do you, and I guess you work in, in the order, but when you are off each doing your own job that you have for the order, do you work solo? Do you go out in pairs? I mean, did, you know, the the Mormons get it right by sending people out in pairs on missions in order to accomplish some things? Um, do you ever outsource to maybe another vast army of little deaths that you can have working for you in the order? 
Wow, I like that that phrase, that vast army of little deaths. I think that that could have some T-shirt potential. Uh, no, we, you know, as an order, we we uh, do work uh, often solo uh, with our own, you know, we're all supervisors of others, uh, but we do frequently outsource, believe it or not, to to the professionals that are actually living, because it just saves us so much time and energy if they wear them down and we just swoop them up at the end. You know, like for instance. You know, social media, corporations, politicians, they really just beat the pulp out of people, and we, we just gather them at the end. It really saves a lot of time. Uh, those daily deaths really matter a lot. Then you go for the bigger boys, like the pharmacy and the military industry, and, yeah, they're, they're pretty strong colleagues. I'm, I'm glad we brought this up. Can we talk a little bit about uh, sort of the big... Uh, undead elephant in the room. Uh, can we talk about the plagues? Because was that, with all of that, if you'll pardon the expression, uh, overkill? Well, actually, it's, 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 you know, in the order we kind of call that deliberate overkill. It's D-O. Um, that um, do, do that. Because it, it, it cleans the inventory out every once in a while. Now, somebody jumped the gun and did the Ebola, and we, that wasn't really supposed to get out of the, the uh, lab at this point. Uh, so none to worry there. We're going to pull that back. But, you know, you just need to, you need to clean inventory out every once in a while. It helps. And, you know, the planet always sighs a big relief. Uh, she just needs that to happen every once in a while, and we help her. Well, and, and so there, of course, we're talking about the big deaths and that kind of thing, but we also mentioned the vast army of little deaths. And speaking of little deaths, or la petite mort, I'm wondering if you could tell us about your association with the orgasm. Oh, oh my. You, you really just went there, didn't you? Uh, well, you know, actually, Lilith is really the girl you should ask about this. I should just go on and on and on and on and on. But I... I personally, I think a lot of people just confuse orgasm with death. I mean, it's really, it's, I mean, you're just so damn happy. You could just die right then and there, so they started blending it together. I could just die now. So it's, and they don't really have to die. I mean, it, it, although it is kind of a perfect way of dying, I think. Uh, but personally, again, I can only speak to myself. For myself at this point, I, it might surprise you that I myself experience petite notes. Many times, uh, my favorite recently was under a huge tree with the translucent yellow leaves in the middle of an afternoon about two years ago. I'm still thinking about it. Well, okay. Give me just a moment here. Um, So, now, like Bill Murray's surprise cameo in Zombieland, or, you know, the the mother-in-law who thinks it's perfectly fine to use that extra key that her son gave her to just show up and walk into her son's house any time of the day or night. I'm wondering if you consider yourself the the ultimate master of making a surprise and unexpected appearance, and how much planning goes into when and where you decide you're going to show up. It's actually, we always make a surprise visit because nobody expects us, even though you all know that you are all going to die. But for some reason, it's still a big surprise when it comes. But on a practical level, the best I can describe how we coordinate this is like a cosmic Google calendar. 
You know, it has to sync up with a great many things. And um, some things have been set for quite a while and probably aren't going to change, and others actually change very quickly. Um, I don't think that the death debt date is set in stone. I don't think anything is set in stone, except for stone. So are you saying you're happy to be an invited guest by someone, or do you prefer to simply show up on your own schedule? Well, you know, it's, you know, again, not really kind of, it's not an invite kind of thing, you know, although lately we have been looking at the whole evite idea, that's kind of fun, um, but no, no, there's a whole schedule to all of this, and I'm the PR girl, so I just, you know, I just make sure that, you know, it, that we, we're getting some media attention, we don't want to dis- disappear. I mean, the other countries are really good about talking about death and looking and celebrating us and they love the, the order and, and they're not that afraid of it. But in America, it, it, we almost do not exist. It's just, I just can't break through in this market. So what about near-death experiences? You know, is that is that an opportunity that someone has to say, and here, of course, I'm paraphrasing from the great drag queen Bianca Del Rio, not today, death, not today. Or are you just, Slipping up sometimes. Mm. But they, you know, to be honest with you, near-death experiences are actually karmic gifts. So that actually is not a mistake. That's an earned benefit uh, because they're deliberate glimmers of of the other side. And for the most part, to really show people, wow, really, you're in the worst part of things right now. <laughs> it, it gets better from there. Some beings are actually given the choice to, to return to Earth or to kind of just walk over. But to be honest with you, that's actually very rare, uh, the ones that are given the choice. Any insider trading information on how to earn that opportunity? You know what? Actually helping others pass over will... No, you didn't hear that from me. But yeah, if you help others pass over, you're earning some bonus points for that. So what I'm wondering is, okay, best death scene ever, and go. Okay, you know, I just got, I'm just downloading, downloading. Just, I can't go with this one. I can't. Uh, so Sylvester the cat on Looney Tunes. That's the first one that hit me. You know, do you realize he died more than any other Looney Tune character? And I think it was because he's so brilliant dying. You know, he just laid there and the little seven cats would fly out of him. Well, not the seventh one. The seventh one he always grabbed somehow. But we just love that one. We just love that one. Howie. Howie really... I don't know if you remember that little man who gets it in uh, Tremors, but... That's one of our favorite death scenes, really, as, a, as an order. We just absolutely love that scene. And I can say that our, my guilty my guilty pleasure, I watch it over and over again just to giggle, is watching Al Pacino fall out of his chair as the Godfather in the third Godfather. I don't know if you saw that movie all the way through, but he falls out of his chair, and it's... <laughs> <laughs> Hands down, the worst one. The worst death scene is Ali McGraw's death scene in Love Story. Just, yeah, we haven't found anything that has hit the bottom of the barrel quite like that. While humans shed tears over that movie, you probably are all sitting there at the order thinking, this is the best comedy ever. 
I did like her hat. Now, I, I know that we, you know, we're told we had a very limited amount of time with you. And, well, some people would say, who wants to spend a lot of time with death? Really, you want it to be kind of quick. But one final question I'm, I'm wondering is, do you think you'll ever be out of a job? Well, you know, that's the sweetness of an order is that you can rotate positions um, or rotate out for a while. And I I was thinking I'm going to, you know, I'm going to stay around for, I think, until I, uh, for about another 10 human years. Because I, I really want to just take some time and design a whole D-Day card line. I think that's really missing. I think we need a D-Day as much as we need a B-Day. Well, thank you very much for having, you know, stepped away from your regular duties to give us a little bit of your time. No problem at all. I, I quite enjoyed myself. And, you know, and having had this opportunity and pleasure, really, to speak with Death or a representative of Death, I, I would actually encourage other people to maybe consider sitting down and having a chat with Death once in a while. It's actually not so bad. Thank you. We will release you back to your duties and say thank you very much for having taken the time uh, to be with us. Oh, good evening, then. Thank you. Thank you. 
listening to the Amethyst Oracle, Divination with a Queer Twist, with hosts High C and Charlie Harrington on Firefly Willows, L-I-V-E. And welcome back. We, of course, want to extend our gratitude to Yeshe Rabbit for having joined us and to Death for, maybe we should say, the Order of Death for having been willing to take a little time to speak with us this evening. Uh, Hopefully you enjoyed that experience as well, Charlie. I did. I could never figure out if I was talking to all of them at the same time or not. I think it must be some sort of union thing, right? Yes. I'm still, you know, I'm still not convinced that we weren't actually just talking to to Death herself. I think it was a, it might have been her own little ruse. You see, <laughs> uh, that that trying to obscure her identity a bit, um, probably for tax purposes. Yes, if uh, there's not, if there's only one other thing that's as certain as death, it's taxes. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and if you're not able to call from the Cayman Islands, then you got to be careful. Um. So this brings us to our living the queer life segment that we do every month, and this is where we like to just pull a card each to say, here's how to go out and be you (laughs) in the coming month. So what are you going to be working with this evening, Charlie? Are you you going exotic uh, because of rabbit? So I went with the Golden Universal Tarot by Los Garabeo, which uh, every card is stamped with gold foil. So... It's wow. um it's a bit it's a bit Liberace, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Well, and I have decided to go with uh, it's a little bit exotic. It's the Cleopatra tarot. Oh, uh, which is very Egyptian. The the cards all look like, you know, papyrus and they have all these Egyptian deities and everything on them. So it's it's very uh exotic if you will. I will. <laughs> Will you now? <laughs> and I, you know, and it's funny because uh, the Cleopatra Tarot is also from Los Garabeos, so we have both just intuitively and synchronistically. We're having Italian tonight. Apparently. Yeah. Uh, and how is Mitchell? Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> uh, so have you have you had a moment to pull your card? I have, and I've pulled a card, and my card is... Strength, and in this deck, it's that sort of traditional um, woman closing the mouth of a lion. And in this particular version, she has a rather unfortunate bonnet. But other than that, um, so the message of strength that's coming to me this month, we've talked in previous months, it's about living your truth or staying on target for goals. Um, I am interpreting this particular strength for this inter- particular question to be uh, quieter inner strength and non-confrontational strength and to look at opportunities of confrontation or argument or debate as opportunities to not engage in other people's personal health. Um, I find that in these fractious times where we communicate a lot electronically um, and social media can really be a part of how we define ourselves and how we express ourselves, 
that with strength showing up, it can be a bit about having the fortitude to not need to engage in debate that doesn't lift your soul up, that doesn't heal your life. You know, so that it's not silence. I'm not saying be silent. Um, but I'm saying pick your battles and the methodology this month for picking your battles is is there really a need to engage here and what would happen if I recognized the right to my own opinion, the right to my own way of being without needing to prove that to anyone else? That's what I got. And I think that 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 ties in very nicely with the card that came up for me, which is the sun. And, you know, as you were saying that, and I was looking at the sun card, the first thing that I thought was, during this upcoming month, shine brightly, but shine brightly as yourself rather than having to shine by diminishing another or pushing somebody else into the shadow. So it it seems to be a month of really in some ways coming out of the shadows having the strength and the courage to step out into the world fully mm-hmm. to to own that spotlight and to be as confident and bold as possible which in no way means steamrolling other, over other people or taking advantage <clears throat> of other people but trusting that who you are what you have to offer and, and what you bring into the world is more than enough so let mm-hmm. that be enough without it having to in any way depend on or negatively impact others around you. Um, the the character that is on this card is Horus. And the, you know, and, well, actually I should probably look, because sometimes when there's depictions like this, it, they can be, uh, depending on how some people have... Um, uh, depicted them. It it could be raw, <laughs> uh, although to me it looks rather much like Horus. Personally, that's what I would take it. To, I'm I'm just glancing very quickly. Oh yeah, they do have it as raw. So it's an interesting choice they've made image-wise. But we will go with raw because <laughs> raw that mm-hmm. would make sense. Wonderful. It's the sun god. Um, you know, and and. Ra is the, it, here they have him portrayed as the falcon with the sun disc. And although we oftentimes think of the falcon as for, for Horus. Um, and, and there is that sense of taking the higher road because we take the bigger perspective. We're able to see the full landscape of the situation rather than caught, getting caught up in some sort of detail and then it becomes a petty argument over some small thing versus taking into account the full context and the full picture of things and it takes a strong person to go back to your card to be both able and willing to do that rather than to just get petty because somebody else is getting petty so i would i would look at this to encourage people to own who you are, own what you have to offer, but don't do so or think that that is in any way dependent on it diminishing another. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to explain or or define. Just do you. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Just shine. And and the more you shine, that radiance becomes something that just naturally attracts to you. And the the right things will be attracted to you 
as a result of that. So so just shine, and mm-hmm. that's all you need to do. So there wow. you are. There and, and there, wherever you go, there you are. So it's been a lovely uh, time talking with you and Rabbit and Death, <laughs> and I. I look forward to uh, next month, and I hope that if anyone has any questions out there or any thoughts on the show or any moral objections, they would stop by our Facebook page, uh, The Amethyst Oracle, and uh, let us know you're alive. And death hasn't come and claimed you yet. (laughs) Or if if something death or rabbit had to say struck a chord and you come by and share it with us on the Facebook page. Let's unpack that together. (laughs) (laughs) Right on. Well, thank you for joining me here again, Charlie. It's been a pleasure. And we will be here again next month in December, second Tuesday of each month we are here. So December will be December 9th, 8 p.m. Pacific. And uh, I believe that that will also mark our second year anniversary for the show. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Luckily, we haven't aged, right? Well, I said for the show. That's right. (laughs) I I, I still look and feel, you know, 10 years younger. This has nothing to do with me. Um, So we want to thank all of our listeners for having been on this journey with us thus far. And we look forward to perhaps bringing some new and interesting things in the coming year for them to continue enjoying listening. So, until next month, Charlie and I shall bid you adieu. Adieu. The Amethyst Oracle. Divination with a queer twist. Divination with a queer twist. The Amethyst Oracle. Thank you for joining us. This program was brought to you by Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. We hope you enjoyed the show. This is Deb Caracella. Please join us next time on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E for Convergence with John Caracella. Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m.